Hey, what's up, everybody? It's your favorite quarterback hater, Robert Mathis, and you're listening to the For the Culture Podcast. This is the For the Culture Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Diamond, with my man, Jason Spears. Before we get into the recap, guys, if you haven't already done so, please subscribe to us on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, Google Play, Radio.com, iHeartRadio, all your favorite podcasting platforms to hear us give game previews and game recaps like this one right here, before and after every Colts game, including tons of other great Colts content. Hit the like button and drop a comment if you're listening on YouTube. And also, please make sure to turn on the notification bell so you get a notification every time time we drop a podcast 36-7 Colts all over the New York Jets in a game the Colts had to come out and win from the jump and just blow them out we've played down to our competition too many times in the past last season we had so many one possession games it seemed like every game the Colts played was a one possession game in 2019 a lot of that was due to the quarterback who was unable to stretch the field and we just played so many close too close for comfort games and we finished the season seven and nine last week 28 11 this week 36 to 7 and it was a game the Colts had to come out they had to beat down a bad opponent we couldn't play down to the level of the New York Jets they're coming in and not only are they a bad team to begin with with a bad head coach in Adam Gaze but they were also beat to a pulp they came into the game missing two offensive linemen and then Becton unfortunately went down during this game they were down their top two wide receivers they were down their starting running back in Le'Veon Bell so they came into this game all types of banged up they traded Jamal Adams before the season started. So this is not a good New York Jets team. This is a team the Colts needed to dismantle. And was it a perfect game by the Colts? No, but we went in. We did what we needed to do. It was not close down the stretch. We never felt in jeopardy at any part during the second half of this game. And that's what good teams do. That's what playoff teams do. When lesser teams come into your building, like this Jets team just did at 0-2, and they're in the dumps, you bury them a little bit further. When they're on the ground, you kick them, you step on them, you spit on them. You don't let them compete with you. I didn't want a close game. I wanted a blowout today, and that's what the Colts gave us. 36-7, Phillip Rivers, extremely efficient in this game. 17 of 21, did not throw an interception his first game without a turnover with the Colts, which is what we needed from the offense today, especially because the defense scored 16 points. So when the defense is going to put up more than two touchdowns, and they're going to give you two touchdowns, two pick sixes, and a safety, what does the offense need to do? They need to be smart with the football. They need to control the tempo of the game. They need to wear out the other team. They need to kill a little bit of clock, and that's what the offense was able to do today. Phillip Rivers, extremely efficient, and it was a milestone day for Phillip Rivers. 400 career touchdown passes, over 60,000 career passing yards, and is now eighth all-time in quarterback wins with this win against the Jets. So a big historic day for Phillip Rivers, adding to that Hall of Fame resume. And what about Xavier Rhodes? Pick six on the first drive of the day, and then comes back two drives later with an interception in the end zone. Xavier Rhodes was phenomenal. And a lot of people, including Jason and I, owe Xavier Rhodes an apology after week one. We said he looked like he might be done. Came back last week, was pretty solid. Had cramping issues in the second half. And then today, a multi-pick day. 36-7, Colts over the Jets, improving to 2-1 and one on the season. Very efficient day from Rivers. I thought he was he was solid, not spectacular, but he didn't need to be. He was just really, really solid. Seventeen to twenty-one, 
very efficient, no turnovers, absolutely solid job by him. I really thought everybody for the Colts, minus maybe Blankenship, really just did their job. You know, and no turnovers, no really, really no dumb penalties. What we said going into the game, just don't beat yourself and, and you'll be fine. And that's exactly what happened. The Colts did not beat themselves. They made plays. Defense made plays. They they pressured Darnold, forced some turnovers, got two pick sixes. I thought I thought Carey did a solid job. Obviously Xavier Rhodes had a big game. And uh and then we got you know, and then we get another safety. I think that's the the first time since 1960 that the Colts have had safeties in back-to-back weeks. And also it's the first time since 1970 that they had two pick sixes in a game. So the defense really stepped up big today. I thought it was a workmanlike performance from the offense, uh, nothing too flashy or spectacular, but you know, they just got the job done. So solid job by really everybody that, that you can, that you can think of. I mean, T.Y. had a bounce back game, offensive line didn't allow a sack. They didn't run it very well in the first half, but I thought they picked it up in the second half, ran it pretty well in the second half. Uh, so all in all, just a really, really solid performance over a bad team. But when you play bad teams, this is what you have to do. And the Colts obviously learned their lesson from week one, although I do think Jacksonville is better than, than New York. They really you know, did the things they needed to do in this game to win it and learn from their mistakes in week one. Yep, and learning from your mistakes is so important. You're going to make mistakes. As a coach, as a player, you're going to make mistakes. People make mistakes. These guys are human. The players are human. The coaches are human. Everybody's human. Chris Ballard's a human. But you need to be able to learn from previous mistakes, which is what we've seen this Colts team do, both players and coaches, from week one to week two to week three, and especially Frank Reich, because he's done a couple things the last two weeks learning from his week one mistakes and the week one mistakes got me worried because we saw week one mistakes in 2018 and 2019 we lost to the Jaguars six nothing with Andrew Luck because we were too aggressive and I like being aggressive but we were too aggressive on third down in 2018 with Andrew Luck against the Jaguars because you have to have a feel for the game And that Jaguar team was only able to put up six points. So if we kick field goals, we most likely go on to win that game. Then we're in a situation, week one this year with the Jaguars, up 7-0 inside the five. We all know what happens. Fast forward to today. When you're playing teams like the Jaguars, teams like the Jets, going up 10-0 is huge. One, because it's not easy for them to score points. And two, because they don't really want to be there to begin with. So we had a situation today. I think we were on the 25-yard line. It was a fourth and one. We're up by seven points. We're up 14-7. to Frank Reich kicks the field goal to go up by 10. Obviously, they don't score for the rest of the game. But that was such a big learning moment for Frank Reich. We easily could have gone for it there. Probably We probably get it there. But he kicks the field goal to go up by 10 points. That was a huge learning moment for Frank Reich. And then later in the game, we're up by 10. At this point, you know they're not going to score 10 points for the rest of the game. So don't kick the field goal and go up 13. We're on the one-yard line. This is a winning opportunity. Let's just put the hammer down and let's cap off this victory. But the learning curve here is not going for it. Frank Reich always goes for a fourth and one on the one-yard line, fourth and goal on the one-yard line. But personnel doesn't have Hines in the game. Instead, has Jonathan Taylor in the game. Doesn't get cute, doesn't run a Jacoby Brissett quarterback option. He hands it straight off up the middle 
spreads it out wide, hands it straight off up the middle to Jonathan Taylor to bang into the end zone for a seven, to go up by 17. The rest is history. And that's what good coaches do. They learn from mistakes. Rake learned from the mistake by kicking that field goal on fourth and one. And then he learned again by not giving Hines the ball in a goal line situation. Instead, he goes with Jonathan Taylor. We pound it in for seven. We go up by 17. The Jets, who have only been able to put up seven points all game, they were not scoring 17 points to tie it or 18 to take the lead. That was a winning move where Frank Reich said, my 11 are better than your 11. I'm going to go up the middle here, and I dare you to stop me. They weren't able to stop him, and that was a huge point, not only in this game, but really in the season and in the coaching career of Frank Reich, learning from previous mistakes, and that's what you love to see out of your head coach and your play caller in Reich. Yeah, and I like what I'm seeing out of the Colts. I mean, last week they, they, they really put it on Minnesota. I thought they dominated that game, and it wasn't as as close as the score at the end of the game showed and, and this game it was kind of the same deal like they just they just dominated and it wasn't ever really I mean after the first few possessions this game was over like as soon as the Colts got ahead by 10 did anyone really think that there was any chance they were going to lose this game because nope. I sure didn't not the way that we were playing I mean we were I mean listen the Jets I'll give them credit they came out they looked good the first two drives Actually, the first or after the first interception, yeah. the, next the second drives, and third drive, they look good. The first drive, yeah, the second, they, we actually got yeah. off the field twice on the first drive. I did not like that P.I. against Kenny Moore. I thought we got off the field there. Then we had the Rhodes pick six. Then the second drive, Darnold goes right down and scores. The third drive, they go right down, and then he throws the second pick to Rhodes. Right. And, you know, a lot of people were – I saw a lot of bitching on Twitter – and it's just like you, you have to – first of all, it's a professional football team. So they're going – they come out with a plan, and usually the, if a plan is a good plan, it works initially. But once a de- team has a chance to adjust to what your plan is, which is what the Colts' defense did, it doesn't work anymore. So I'll give the Jets credit. They, they looked good in those two drives, and Darnold looked exceptionally good. But at the end of the day, the Colts – you know, they hunkered down or whatever you want to say. They got it together. They they adjusted to whatever the Jets were doing. And the Jets didn't sniff the end zone again. So I just – I think people have these insane expectations sometimes of, you know, what they want to see us do. I mean, obviously we wanted to come out and score the first 30 points, but we're playing an NFL team. We're not playing, you know, William and Mary. I know the Jets are horrible, and they're probably the worst team in the league. But they're not just going to come out and quit right away. You've you got to make them quit. And that's what I thought the Colts did over the span of the game. I mean, and, and, and really, I thought it was an exceptional job by really everybody on defense. The, all three levels really played great, really, after that third drive um, when they got well, – oh, actually, really the one drive. Because at the third drive, they got, they got another interception. So after, after the, the one drive the Jets scored on, the Colts – I mean, they did their job, and, uh, you know, they blew them out. They blew out the Vikings. They're going into Chicago. I think Nick Foles is probably going to be, you know, who we face, which sucks. I was hoping to get Mitchell Trubisky. But nonetheless, the Colts defense is balling. They're playing really well right now. Now they got to take it on the road, and, and we got to see it against a team that I w- I'm, I'm actually shocked is undefeated, but they are, and you got to give them credit. So I'm excited for the win. I'm excited to see what happens next week when we go into Chicago. 
But overall today, man, just a really, really gutty, solid win by the Colts. Yep, and we'll start off on the defensive side of the football. But getting into that second drive, the first and only touchdown drive of the day for the New York Jets, you got to tip your cap to Sam Darnold because he puts together a phenomenal drive. He gets away from pressure, but also as a fan, I know people were bitching and moaning on Twitter, but as a fan, you do need to look at what happened on that drive, the magic that occurred on that drive, how many sacks he got away from. There was constant, relentless pressure on Darnold. You knew he was not going to go the entire day escaping from 25 sacks and just running around and completing these. So you knew eventually, plus with this Colts bend don't break defense, there's always going to be opportunities for turnovers and picks and fumbles, which is what we saw as the game wore him down. And I feel bad for Darnold because I think he's a capable quarterback. I think he has franchise quarterback potential and upside, but he's in a tough predicament. Yes, he made some bad throws. Yes, he made some bad reads. That first pick six to Rhodes was an awful throw. He never should have thrown it. But when you don't have the receivers and you don't have any electric playmakers on the field, you're down both tackles in the second half. Your head coach is a bozo in Adam Gaze. You don't really have anything to help you out. And a lot of his interceptions and bad throws are reminiscent to 2000, really 2012 through the end of the Pagano era, 17, with Chuck Pagano, where you don't feel like anybody on your team is going to help you, so you force things, which is what was frustrating about those two Phillip Rivers interceptions week one. This team, unlike those 2012, 13, 14, 15 Colts teams, this team has a great O-line, has a really solid becoming great defense and playmakers and a run game you could depend on. So you don't need to force it. You don't need to. You could throw it away. Luck a lot of times had to make those plays because if he didn't make it, nobody was going to make it. So he knew, okay, if I throw this, even if it gets picked off, so what? If we punt, they're going to go 90 yards on our defense in five minutes. I'm never going to touch the field again. The game's going to be over. And Darnold has a lot of that because – If you're Sam Darnold and you're looking around this roster and you're looking at your coaching staff, you feel like nobody's going to do anything if I don't do it. And I feel like he was put in a lot of positions where he threw passes that he probably didn't want to throw and he knew were probably not the best decisions. And it played right into the Colts' hand, the Colts' favor, as we go on to pretty much just destroy them 36-7. Yeah, Darnold, I I was – this is going to sound crazy (laughs) – but I was actually really impressed by him. As bad as, as, as many, you know, he turned it over or whatever, he had less than nothing around him. And they took Frank Gore out of the game, which I didn't understand because Frank Gore actually was running the ball well. They took him out of the game, which was the, the really the only help he had. And, I mean, Darnold in the pocket, man, his pocket presence, he's, a, he, he's, he's much more elusive in the pocket than, than I thought he was. I, I mean – Put him on the trade block, and I'm the Colts. I 100% am interested in him. The Jets, ha- I mean, the Jets are really ruining this kid's career. They, the Jets have a million problems. It's like that Jay Z song. I got a, I got, I got 99, 99 problems. problems. But a, yeah, but <laughs> I got 99 problems. Sam what Darnold ain't one. Yeah, exactly. That, he's not the problem. Nope. People, I see a lot of Jets fans get, getting on him, and I know you're frustrated. I, I get it. We've been there. Luke and I have been there with Luck when Luck was turning it over a lot. But you have to understand, the kid is trying to make plays. He knows there is nothing around him. He knows the defense is bad. He doesn't have anything around him, so he's just trying. 
any way possible to make plays. And he's got an ungodly amount of bad coaching around him and, and no offensive line. And so I guess my point is the Jets are the Jets. It's not Sam – like the Jets have been the Jets. They will continue to be the Jets. They haven't won a Super Bowl since 19 – what, 1968, 1969, something yep. like that? Super Bowl three. That's not Sam Darnold's fault. You know what I mean? Like, yep. this isn't a Sam Darnold thing. This is a Jet thing. Yep. So, um, as, far as, as far as our guys go, they did what they needed to do. They pressured Darnold. Even on the drive they scored, they were all over him. He made upper echelon quarterback plays in that drive. He, I mean, the, some of those throws, the touchdown throw, that play he made to Berrios, I mean – you can be pissed at the Colts' defense if you want. I look at that and say that's just a damn good play by the quarterback. I mean, yep. that's what I look at and see. For me, I, I, I give I give him credit for, for hanging in there, but, I mean, he's got nothing to work with. The Colts, as a fan of the Colts, I was proud of the way they played. I thought they came in. They handled their business. I thought the defense did a good job. They really pressured uh, – consistent pressure. Not like, you know, we had five sacks, but they were just five individual sacks. Consistent first quarter to fourth quarter pressure. I thought we did that again this week like we did last week, and I thought that was the key to the game. You see, when you do those things, you force turnovers, and turnovers change momentum of a game. They change the momentum of this game when he threw the pick in the end zone. Great play by Xavier Rhodes to come off his read and pick that ball off, and, uh, you know, the, I, I just thought the defense picked it up from as, as the game went on, the defense just picked it up and went to another level, and then and, and, went on a run. I mean, hell, after, what was it, 7-7, seven to seven, I don't think they scored. No, they didn't score again. So it was a 29 nothing run to end the game. So you can't really complain about that. Yeah, and also, Jason, you look at the Minnesota Vikings, because say what you want about the Jaguars, say what you want about the Jets, and I know the Vikings have fallen now to 0-3, but they play the Packers, they play the Colts, and they play the Titans, three teams that should all see themselves in the playoffs come December. So it's a tough start if you're a Minnesota Viking or a Minnesota Viking fan having to play three playoff caliber teams the first three weeks. But the Minnesota Vikings offense, they score 34 points week one. They score 11 points and seven of them were garbage points or eight of them, I should say, with the two point conversion were garbage points week two against the Colts. And then they put up 30 today in a loss of 31-30. And it was a tough loss. I wish they won that game. But a one-point loss to the Tennessee Titans. So they've put up 64 points in the two games where they don't play against the Colts, and they only put up 11 points in the game against the Colts, which is a testament to how good this Colts defense is capable of being. And yes, Darnold had one tip-of-the-cap drive to him today, but to see Colts fans freaking out over that one drive, and then what do we do? We adjust, we adapt, and we don't let it happen again. And Eberflus did a great job with second-half adjustments. You go back to week one, we didn't really see too many second-half adjustments defensively or offensively in that game. And then the last thing I'll say about Sam Darnold and the Jets' predicament, they got to figure it out from the top down, from Woody Johnson to Douglas to Gaze. That is a top-down organizational issue they have because there's a great chance this Jets team is picking first overall in the 2021 NFL Draft. And there's a quarterback who, in my opinion, is the best quarterback prospect since Andrew Luck coming out in 2012 with Trevor Lawrence. But if you don't figure it out, 
I'm not saying that Sam Darnold's better than Trevor Lawrence, but you'll ruin Trevor Lawrence the same way the Colts ruined Andrew Luck, the same way the Jets are ruining right now Sam Darnold. If you don't protect him and you don't give him playmakers and you don't give him a real head coach, you're going to ruin him the same way. So the problem is not Sam Darnold. So you could upgrade the prospect from Sam Darnold, who's like a B, B plus prospect, to an A plus in Trevor Lawrence. But if the owner's a moron and the GM's a moron and the coach's a moron and from the top down, you're going to ruin him. Even if he's bigger and stronger and more talented, you'll ruin him the same way you're ruining this guy who you traded three second-round picks to move up three spots to draft with us, fortunately, in the 2018 draft. Yeah, I completely agree. I, the, the Jets are just a train wreck. I don't really know what else to say. I, I, I feel... I know you don't feel bad for him because you're in that area and that it's a team you can't stand. But I do, I do feel, feel bad for him. Some sort of I, I, I feel well, I feel bad for him, Jason, family. because he's taken the heat. All I hear from the people in my area is people criticizing Sam Darnold when I know he's not the problem. And today I thought really, and I know he threw three picks, but I thought it kind of solidified those opinions I had. So I think the people I'm listening to are wrong. So I love hearing angry, pissed off Jet fans on WFAN and Sports Talk Radio in New York, but I think they are being irrational when they direct it at him. And I know they hate gays, and I know they hate Woody Johnson, but when they target it at Sam Darnold, I'm against that 100%. So I do feel bad for him. No, I no, I get I get you, and I feel bad for him as well. I hate to see it. And, and honestly, it, it it's just a personal thing. Like, I feel bad for any kid that gets thrown into a, a, a pretty much an untenable situation and he's he seems like a really solid guy and a good a good player and just he's in an impossible situation and for the like for the jet fans that that actually like Darnold and aren't blaming him I actually feel empathy for them because I we went through this yep we went through the exact same thing with a dipshit GM and a moron head coach that never figured out that you have to put an offensive line in front of your franchise quarterback and I just hope Darnold doesn't suffer the same fate that Luck did, meaning he gets hurt and keeps getting hurt and to, gets to the point where he hates football. Because I, I still think Sam Darnold has incredible upside if he went to a situation where they actually know how to teach quarterbacks and know how to teach offensive football. And, they know how, and most importantly, they know how to build a team around that talent. I have no doubt he would be a successful NFL quarterback. He's just – if you could pick a team you don't want to go to, and, and you can ask Peyton Manning 1997 <laughs> this, you pick a place you don't want to go, it's the New York football Jets because they suck and they will ruin any great player they get. And yep. that's just the truth, and it's a fact of the matter. And the only way that that situation is going to get fixed is if they bring in – they they've just got to tear it down, dude. They've got. I mean, Gase. Ha, like I would have. I would fire Gase, but then a part of me is like, no, I would keep Gase because that ensures we're going to be the worst team in the league. Yeah. Um, well, Jason, so what I don't understand. This is just how you know they are a terrible organization. You have Adam Gase in your division. The Dolphins hate him. Could you imagine the Jaguars, Titans, or us? hiring Bill O'Brien or the Texans, Titans, and Jaguars hiring Chuck Pagano. When you have a coach who's awful in your division, 
you know inside and out how bad he is because you're rooting for him. Like yeah. if I was a Jet fan or I was a Patriot fan or I was a Bills fan, I would have been rooting for the Dolphins to keep Adam Gaze because I knew how bad he was. The Jets go and hire sloppy seconds from a coach within their division who they knew was a terrible coach and a terrible people person, and the list goes on and on and on. So that just proves what a dysfunctional organization they are. Then they hire him, and the general manager who hires him is fired following the draft, and then they hire (laughs) Douglas to come in. And now Douglas is the GM of a team going into a season last year in 2019 with not one player he drafted on the roster and a coach who hasn't even coached a game yet for the Jets that he didn't even hire. It's just such an ass-backwards organization. I feel bad for the fan base because although I do enjoy hearing them bitch and moan after losses, especially this loss because it's to us and I'll enjoy it all week on Sports Talk Radio, especially that one guy. I don't know if anybody saw it, but I put it on Twitter. There was one guy in WFAN this week who was guaranteeing a 100% win. I'm going to enjoy all that stuff, but it's a passionate fan base. Never get that twisted. It's a passionate fan base, and I feel bad for the Jet fans because they've gone through a lot with this organization, and they're ruining who I do believe is a franchise quarterback in Sam Darnold. And this hire of Adam Gaze was just awful. I mean, what an awful, awful football coach. But let's say one positive thing about the Jets and a former Colt real quick, Jason, and then we'll get on to more Colt topics. I know we're we're focusing a lot on the opponent right now, but what about Frank Gore? The man is, what, 36 years old as a running back? in run, Like dog years and running back years, 36 years old is like... 75 years old. I mean, for him to still be doing it, and he's only missed two games since 2010, up over 15,000 rushing yards. This is a guy who tore his ACL twice in college, fell to the third round, and here he is putting together a Hall of Fame career, 79 career touchdowns on the ground. I mean, what a career Frank Gore's had, and I felt like we never had the proper goodbye when he left the Colts he's already been to multiple teams he's been with the Dolphins for a year he's been with the Bills for a year now he's with the Jets and it sucks for him because I feel like if he was with the Colts right now he'd be playing really well behind our offensive line I just want to give a shout out to Frank Gore and the durability and the reliability and the consistency of Gore from 2005 up until present day had three solid underrated years in Indianapolis never missed a game never complained And I know we didn't make the playoffs, and he came to Indy for a championship, didn't come close to a championship. But I just want to pay my respect to Frank Gore, one of the the all-time great, underrated, never the guy, but right below that for so long, such a consistent, durable, reliable running back. Absolutely, man. I couldn't say it any better. I love Frank Gore. I love everything about him. He's a football lifer. He takes great care of himself. He shows what perseverance and determination can do when you really want to be great at something. And, and like you said, coming out of Miami, he had those injuries, and and you know he just he just never he has like a never say die attitude. And the one thing I will say for him, and and I, no one ever mentions this, but in his entire career, I don't I don't know how many really great offensive lines he's run behind, but he somehow managed to get 1,200 yards. How many seat? I mean, he 
He ran behind our trash can offensive line for three years and damn near had 3,000 yards. Yep. And now he's running behind the Jets' trash-ass offensive line, and he had a solid game today. I mean, people don't understand. Do you remember how bad our running game was with a bad offense? It's not easy to gain yards with a bad offensive line. Yeah. It's very difficult. And to see Frank Gore go out there and do what he does at his age is just – and there's people that don't think this guy's a Hall of Famer, and I just don't get it. He's a Hall of Famer in every sense of the word. As a person, as a player, as a teammate, as a worker, as somebody that cares, I really sincerely hope the Jets trade him to a contending team so he gets to, to actually go to the playoffs. Because if anyone deserves it in this league, it is absolutely without a doubt Frank Gore. He deserves to play in a Super Bowl he deserves to win a Super Bowl, but if nothing else, he deserves to not play for the New York Jets. <laughs> 100% agree. He deserves to be on a winning team. He deserves to be competing for a championship. And he's a football lifer, man. He's one of those guys that a lot of people say, I'm going to play until I can't play anymore. He means it. And you just look at the consistent. I mean, it's incredible. From 2006 to 2009, had 11-plus each and every year, and then from 11 up until 2014, 11-plus every year. Then 15, just misses 1,000 his first year with the Colts, 1,000 his second year with the Colts, then just misses again in his third year. Has been more of a backup, split carries the last couple years when he's been bouncing around as a journeyman. But just an incredible career. He's up around... He has about 80 touchdowns on the ground. Then he has about 20 more. So he's approaching 100 career touchdowns. He has 15,000, over 15,000 rushing yards in the top five. I think at the top three now, all time in rushing yards. How many receiving yards does he have? He has almost 4,000 receiving yards. This guy's approaching, and he might have already hit. He's approaching 20,000 yards from scrimmage and 100 touchdowns. How anybody could say that's not Hall of Fame. And I don't want to hear he's a stat compiler because at that yeah, position, if you could compile yeah. stats at that position, God bless you. Because you are taking a beating for every statistic you are adding to your grand total. And, and, part, of his, and part of his greatness is his durability. There's, I mean, that, that's part of his greatness. You can't, you can't throw that in the trash and say, well, he, he accumulated stats because he stayed healthy. That's part of why he's a Hall of Fame player, yep. because he's durable. He can always be counted on. That, mm -hmm. that is a part of being a great player. Walter Payton was the same way. Now, I'm not saying Frank Gore is as good as Walter Payton, but what I am saying is one of the reasons Walter Payton was as great as he was was his teammates always knew he was going to be there. He was so durable. I think he missed – I don't even know if Walter Payton missed a game, maybe one game in his whole career – that's what I think of when I think of Frank Gore. He's a guy that his teammates could count on, that you knew was always going to be there when the chips were down, and there is not a lot of guys like that. Not a lot of – I mean, as far as playing as, and, and being as consistent as he has to this age, there's no one like that. The closest I've seen is John Riggins, and he didn't make it this far. He, I think he retired at, at 35, and, and Gore is still going. So – we definitely needed to pay respect to this man. He, he deserves it. He earned it. And uh, I really, really, truly hope they do trade him because he, he certainly deserves a chance. To, if, if this is the end for him, which I don't know if it is. You never know with Frank. 
But if it is the end, I hope he ends his, his career getting to go to the playoffs one last time. Yeah, and I'll tell you, if something were to happen to Taylor or Wilkins, I would be in favor of bringing them back to Indianapolis, especially Wilkins, because then you would still have your number one back. You'd still have Hines, who's their flex option guy. But then to have a number two runner behind, you know, if, if he was cut or released or something like that. But I thought he was a good Colt in his Colts career. He played every game for three years, never complained, super, super reliable. And I don't want to hear that a running back is compiling stats because when a running back touches the ball 20 times, especially a running back like him, he's not an open field runner. When he touches the ball 20 times, he's getting hit 20 times. Same thing 50 times, 100 times, 200 times. When Frank Gore goes up the middle, he's taking a beating pretty much every time he touches the football. So an incredible career for Frank Gore. Possibly the last time the Colts ever share a field with Frank Gore or see Frank Gore in an NFL game. So I just wanted to do that and pay our respects to one of the all-time greats who was a good Colt for a couple years in the mid-2010s from 2015 up until 2017. But, Jason, let's get into the offense real quick. We already talked early about, and I know we spent a lot of time on Darnold and Gore. We talked about Phillip Rivers' efficiency in this game, 17 of 21 for 217 yards, threw a touchdown, and his first game with the Colts without an interception, which is great. It was a historic day for Phillip Rivers, 400 touchdowns, over 60,000 yards. So a lot of history on the field between Phillip Rivers and Frank Gore today. We saw Jonathan Taylor find the end zone again for the second consecutive game in his second consecutive start. T.Y. Hillen bouncing back, didn't drop a pass today, which was good. Molly Cox, again, 50 yards. Found the end zone. Moali Cox playing really good football, even with Doyle back, which is something that I was very happy about, Jason. With Doyle back in the lineup in the rotation today, still going heavy Cox in the passing game, which is what we wanted to see. So they kept Mo involved. They were thrown to a all game, which is what we wanted to see. So that was good. And just a solid all-around, nothing to wow you performance offensively, but when you get 14 points, no, 16 points with the safety. from We put up 36 points in this game, and 16 of it came from the defense. So when the defense is putting up 16 points and almost tripling the opponent's points, the offense doesn't have to wow you. The offense could take it slow. And also, I saw a lot of heat for the offensive line today between – Taylor and Wilkins were averaging up over 4.3 yards per carry. Taylor today, 4.5 per carry. Wilkins, 4.3 per carry. And Rivers doesn't get sacked. And not only does Rivers not get sacked, there was just no pressure on Rivers. Rivers was never under pressure. You never held your breath or you never saw him getting up off the turf. He pretty much had a clean game on the 21 dropbacks. So I want to give a shout-out to the offensive line and the consistency of the offensive line. They haven't missed a game since 2018, and I feel like people take that for granted, especially today. You're going up against a team in the Jets who went through like four different offensive line combinations already in the first three games. They have this stud rookie left tackle in Beckton, the kid out of Louisville, and he already went down in this game. And we have our five together who have gelled as a cohesive unit for what, the 19th, 20th game in a row? I just want to give a shout-out to the guys up front who took a little bit of heat today on Twitter, and I thought it was unwarranted. Yeah, well, it's funny because it's, it's almost like people forget what our offensive line looked like in 2012, 13, yep. 14, 15, and so on and so forth. We had the same problem the Jets had, except for Costanzo 
It was musical chairs all over all, all over our offensive line. So I'll never I'll never take those guys up front for granted at all. And I thought, yeah, they might not have been spectacular early, but they wore the Jets out late. And mm-hmm. you saw in the second half, we we really picked it up running the ball. I thought the offensive line really imposed their will in the second half. And like you said, they didn't allow a sack. I don't know what else they can do. And he wasn't even close to getting sacked. There, it was a great job by the offensive line as far as protecting Rivers, allowing him to make his reads, go through his progressions. And, and, and as far as the run game goes, it's, it's cyclical. It's not always going to be great. Sometimes you have to really push on a team to, to, to get to where you want to go. And I thought the Jets played the run fairly well early, but we kept, we kept with it, stayed patient. I thought the offensive line wore them down the second half. Mm-hmm. And they have some dogs up front. You look at a guy like Quentin Williams. So it's not like they have no names up there. They had no names in a lot of areas on the field, but they still had some guys up there, and they're going to make plays too. And we wore them down, like you said, throughout the course of the game. And it was never an issue in pass pro. It was only in the run game. And Jonathan Taylor does need to develop better vision. There was a couple holes. There was a third and three where Mack walks into the end zone And Taylor, I think, picked up a yard. So when his vision gets better, he's going to make the offensive line look better because you see him run into the back of Glowinski, but if he cut to the left, he probably walks it in for a 25-yard touchdown. So these things all go together. Marlon Mack's going to make them look a lot better. If Marlon Mack's in, he probably goes for 150 last week, and he probably goes for 100 today. But because of the circumstances, because of Mac being out with the Achilles and because we're running a rookie running back, you're going to have some growing pains. And that's what we're witnessing right now. But I really don't think it's on the offensive line. And have, were they perfect? No. Have we seen better performances from the offensive line? Of course. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying we got to chill out because we've been where the Jets are now with the offensive line. And we need to remember what that was like especially when you can look at the other sideline and you see Becton going down you saw they were missing a starting guard they were missing their starting right tackle so we could be there we've been there before and I never want to go back so I just think it's a little bit crazy for Colt fans to be complaining at any point during the game and has Rivers been sacked maybe one time in three games and it's not even the sacks as much as it is the pressure we only sacked Darnold twice today, but we had him running around the entire game. And Darnold has that agility where he could get away. You look at Phillip Rivers. Phillip Rivers is 38 years old. If you switched the quarterbacks today, Rivers would have been annihilated by the Colts defensive line. It would have been a 90-point game. Yeah, he would have been sacked over 10 times. There's no question. Easily. Darnold got rid of uh, so many balls where he just threw it away. It, they, they pressured him. So much, man. It was. I, I. I'll be interested to see the the pressure percentage on dropbacks with him this week because I felt like every time he dropped back, the Colts were in his face. Yep. I'm actually interested to see both because I want to see because I feel like Rivers was never under pressure. Maybe I'm wrong, and sometimes you see things on the old. You always see things on the old 22 that you don't see on the on the television broadcast. One, I think he was pressured one time yeah. on that on that duel in play. Yes, yeah. Or he stepped up and there was like a couple guys, but but it wasn't like I, and he I st- almost because the, geez, the crazy thing is he still had time to make that play to Doolin and he didn't make that play to Doolin, which right. just goes to show that's the one time Philip Rivers is under pressure and it wasn't even that much pressure. 
So then you go back to last year, no wonder he threw all those interceptions and the Chargers missed the playoffs. People thought that was a myth right. when we were talking about that offensive line. So people, I think, are taking the Colts offensive line for granted, and I don't like it because no. this offensive line is grade A. This is top-of-the-line offensive line play. Are they going to win every down? No. Are they going to win every possession? Are they going to win every drive, every series? No. But that's an unrealistic expectation. If you expect to win the push and win the battle up front in the trenches on every single down, you're hallucinating. That's never going to happen. So I thought that they took some unfair criticism today. I thought the offense was eh. Like I didn't think they were great. But they got the job done, and when the defense scores, not just giving you the ball in good field position, when they score 16 points, they put 16 points on the board, the offense doesn't need to be spectacular. What they need to do is they need to be smart, they need to not commit penalties, they need to not turn the football over, and that's what the offense did today, and really that's all you could ask. They moved the chains when they needed to move the chains. Do we have a three now yet on the year, Jason? Do we have one today? Yeah, I think we did have one. Ah. That was a nice little stretch. I think I think yeah, it was it was great. I think it was uh I'm trying to think, was it the start of the second half? It might you know, I missed the first drive of the second half. I had the red zone on and the half went by so quick I flipped back and I see the Jets getting the ball back. And what about that stat Kevin Harlan gave? And that's what I love about actually having a real broadcasting team. And, of course, there's guys in the trucks that are looking this stuff up, so the announcer's not doing 70 hours of homework before the game. They do their homework, but they don't do that much homework. And when you have a good announcing team and you have, like, an A team or a B team or even a C team, you get little tidbits that you wouldn't get if you had, let's say, Adam Archuleta like we had week one against the Jaguars. They just give you the basic stuff. They give you the vanilla takes, the vanilla this, the vanilla that, stats you already knew, obvious stuff. Oh, Phillip Rivers, 400th touchdown. Well, that was easy. We all knew that. But what I didn't know is Sanchez hasn't had a touchback since week two of 2019. What an incredible statistic. He hasn't had a touchback. And we had that great play last week where Rhodes saved that ball from going in the end zone. That was a phenomenal statistic from the CBS crew, Kevin Harlan's crew. So shout out to them. That was a great stand. Shout out to Rigoberto Sanchez for picking up where Pat McAfee left off. Absolutely. Man, that, that stat shocked me. And honestly, dude, the more I watch Rigo kick, the more I feel like he's underrated as hell. Oh yeah. Because almost every time I see him punt a ball, it, it, he gets great hang time, allows his gunners to get down the field and either – there's a fair catch or the ball's downed inside the 20-yard line. And, and you can't really ask for anything more from a punter. He's exceptional. Uh, he doesn't get the credit he deserves. And, and I'm not going to go off on a, a soliloquy about how important punters are. But he is a very, very good punter, and we're lucky to have him after losing McAfee. Uh, you know, you never know what you're going to get. Now we're looking at trying to re- replace Vinatieri, and we're seeing that that's easier said than done yep. so uh, uh you know we're, we're very lucky in a lot of uh, in a lot of respects and the biggest thing is we're lucky to have chris ballard because he can identify talent and put that talent on the field and and that's i mean that's where i feel like our team has been turned around in the biggest of ways but by, by the amount of talent that's been put on the field by chris ballard there's no question and it's unbelievable how many areas 
Ryan Grigson never needed to address. He never needed to replace Venetari because Venetari was great the entire time he was here. He never needed to replace Pat McAfee or find a punter, but then Pat McAfee quits because of how much he hated him. And then Chris Ballard comes in and immediately needs to replace his punter. And then a couple years later needs to replace his kicker because the kicker is 46 years old and he's over the hill. He never needed to find a left tackle because the year before he got the job, the previous regime drafted Anthony Costanzo. And Chris Pullian didn't do a very good job after he took over for his father. But one of the few great picks he made was Anthony Costanzo. Never needed to find a quarterback because he got a job that just happened to have a generational talent. The best quarterback to come out of college since Peyton Manning or John Elway sitting number one in the draft with the first overall pick. And that pick was made by Ursay before Grigson got the job. So it was crazy to me. He didn't need to find a kicker, a punter, some of those specialty positions. Didn't need to find two of the most important positions on the field, the left tackle and the quarterback position, at least offensively. And then pretty much never gave us anything defensively in the five years he was here. But Ballard's <laughs> needed to add a lot of those kind of pieces. He had to find a punter right away. He had to find a kicker already. You know, in a couple of years, we might need to look for a replacement left tackle to Anthony Costanzo. Has already had all the quarterback issues you could imagine because the quarterback retired kind of like Pat McAfee because of the previous regime. McAfee retired because he didn't personally like the regime and wanted to go into other things like podcasting and radio and wrestling and TV and all the things he's been able to accomplish since retiring. But then Andrew Luck retires because the previous regime wasn't able to build around him. He got his ass kicked each and every week. So then he was just worn out physically, mentally, emotionally beaten to a pulp. So then he retires and Ballard has just kind of had to take it all and replace it all. It's crazy. Yeah, those two idiots made Andrew Luck hate football. Uh, I'll Mm -hmm. never forgive him for that. Like, seriously. Like, I I really think Andrew Luck began to hate football because of those two guys. I agree. Do we have anything else to get to, Jason? I feel like this has been a very interesting all-over-the-map game recap. No, I'm just excited about the win, man. I'm I'm fired up that we're – we're back over 500. We yes. dominated two games back, back to back, and uh, now we go on the road. The next two games, man, going to tell us a lot about this team. Going to Chicago, face an undefeated team. Going to Cleveland, face a team that's over 500 for the first time since like 1960. No, I'm just kidding. But <laughs> they are over 500 and playing pretty well. So the next two games will tell us a lot um, about this team and and where we're going to go. Yeah, and I saw a stat that is not a joke, and it's the Cleveland Browns have scored 30-plus points now in back-to-back games for the first time in 10 years. So that's a real stat. They are starting to click offensively, starting to click altogether, and Miles Garrett is a monster on that defensive line. So that'll be a test, but before we get to that, of course, we have the Bears and our buddy Chuck Pagano as the defensive coordinator for the Chicago Bears. We are also going to see a quarterback switch with Nick Foles. We fared pretty well against Nick Foles last year in the first game against the Jaguars, and the Jaguars beat us in the next game, week 17, with Gardner Minshew. But to wrap it up, and also I want to give a shout-out to Jacoby, and people are going to be like, why are you talking about Jacoby, the backup quarterback? But you see him on the sideline. You see him engaged the entire time. I'm happy he got to play a little bit. He only threw four passes, two for four. You never want to see him start a game. I don't want to see him in unless it's in situations like this, unless it's a Hail Mary before a half, unless it's a fourth and inches quarterback sneak. I wouldn't mind him playing even in a big moment on a quarterback sneak or then here at the end of a game in a Colts blow. I don't want to get blown out, but if the Colts are up big to see Jacoby get in the game. But I just want to give him a shout out because that's tough 
for the ego to take that step back and to actually help the next quarterback coming in to replace you. A lot of guys will be out or they would mentally check out. But Brissett, just like in 2018 with Luck, right there on the sideline, right there in the huddle, helping out at that time Luck, now Phillip Rivers, talking to Sirianni and Reich. So I just want to give a shout-out to Jacoby because – we had our issues with him last year as a player, as a player, 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 never as a person, as a starting quarterback. And I just want to say that I appreciate the selflessness of Jacoby. And I know he's making a lot of money, and there's obviously great benefits in it for him, making all this money as a backup quarterback. But I just want to say that that's not easy to do, to be able to take that backup spot and to go from starter to backup. To be a backup is one thing, but to be the starter last year, and he had a C on his chest. He was a captain last year. And to go from captain to backup, have another guy come in, and then have that guy put a C on his chest and become a captain is not easy. So Jacoby being able to readapt to that backup role takes a special type of person, a special type of leader, although he'll never be that as a starting quarterback, in my opinion. I appreciate him being able to take that backup role and to get some snaps today and to be able to play and get out there and be rewarded for taking that sacrifice on top of the financial benefits he's obviously also receiving. I just want to give a shout-out to Jacoby. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's really, really rare to find a player that's so selfless and cares that much about the team that he's willing to put his ego aside and put it in check and, and do what's best for the team. And whenever I've criticized him, it's always been about his play on the field. It's never been about him as a person, and it's certainly never been about him as a teammate. He's absolutely, from what I've heard from other players and what I've seen from him from on the sidelines and the way he, he acts with his teammates, there's not a better teammate anywhere. And there is a lot to be said for that. And uh, the Colts are very lucky to have him on their team right now for a lot of reasons. One, because he's a viable backup quarterback, but he's also a very, very good person and a very valuable teammate to his brothers in the locker room. Um, if anybody has questions or things that they'd want to, t- I mean, he's the kind of guy that will, will help anyone and everyone. And I think, I think that's a great point you made, and he des- definitely deserves the utmost respect and credit. For, for all the money that he makes and all that, it's still not easy what he's doing. So I think he deserves the credit and the utmost respect for what he's doing, and I appreciate what he's doing because he's, he's definitely helped, helping make this team better, maybe not on the field, but off the field for sure. Yep, and hey, maybe on the field too because a lot of that – translates to on the field the same way a locker room cancer translates to on the field in a negative way this translates to on the field in a positive way if he's in the locker room and he's not getting along with Philip Rivers and he's not helping him adjust Indianapolis in August that could be a negative impact on the locker room and he's the complete opposite he's right there he's helping Rivers every step of the way so Jason Let's get into our player of the game before we wrap this thing up. I'll let you go first. Yeah, I'm going to give it to Phillip Rivers. Uh, not spectacular, but 17-21 to with a touchdown. Got his 400 touchdown and also 
Uh, went out. What was the other record he had, Luke? The other record was over 60,000 passing yards. I think that was today. That might have been last week or today. And then also eighth all-time now in wins for quarterbacks. Yeah, so for me, I, I'll, give, I'll give my player the game award to Phillip Rivers. They broke a couple records, played a really solid game, didn't turn the ball over, very efficient. Uh, he's been great since he's got here. I've seen some critics of his, but I, I don't really buy into it. I thought I thought he played well last week. Thought he played well today. Thought he was really really good. So I'll give I'll give my game ball and my player of the game to Philip Rivers. Now, what about the fact that Peyton Manning left Indianapolis with 399 touchdown passes, and Philip Rivers comes to Indianapolis with 397 touchdown passes? So Manning never hit that 400 mark with the Colts. Rivers comes to the Colts and just his third game hits that 400 touchdown pass mark. And that's a great selection, Jason. It's a historic day, hitting a couple of those milestones for Phillip Rivers. But I got to go with Xavier Rhodes. Xavier Rhodes having a career day for a guy who was an all-pro back in 2016. Even made a Pro Bowl last year. Only had one interception the entire year. Two picks today in the first half. And took one to the house for a touchdown. The other one erased a touchdown. So those two picks was like a 14 or 21 point swing for the Colts. He has a pick six that he takes to the house. And then he has another pick in the end zone. Two picks for Xavier Rhodes and a touchdown. And then he made another great play where he rode the hip of the receiver down the sideline. Another great play. So he had a really good performance, especially for a guy like we've always been believers in Phillip Rivers. We were believers in the offseason that if Ballard's going to let Desir walk and sign Xavier Rhodes that he believes in him for roughly the same amount of money. So we believed in Ballard, believing in him. It was secondhand belief. But after week one, we had our doubts. And we aired it out on the podcast. We did not feel good about Xavier Rhodes being our number two corner. Then last week and this week, he's our number one corner with Rocky Asin battling his unknown illness. And Xavier stepping up big time, playing really well. And also T.J. Carey. Shout out T.J. Carey. Had a pick six today. Had a pick last week. Kind of a garbage pick on a Hail Mary before the half. And then has a pick six today against Sam Darnold. So the secondary, all three levels of the defense, stepping up, playing really well the last two weeks. But Carey with that pick. And then my player of the game, Xavier Rhodes with a pair of picks. Yeah, they played well, man. The secondary looked good. The last two weeks they've really stepped it up without Rock out there. And, Xavier had a great game, man. That's what I want to see from him, an aggressive play, two aggressive plays, and then the play you talked about where he, he rode the, the hip of the receiver down the, down the boundary I thought was a really, really solid play as well. And, yeah, T.J. Carey, man, uh, just, just stepping in and, and holding his own and, you know, not, not perfect by any stretch, but, but solid nonetheless and done a, done a solid job playing for Rock and, and holding it down until he gets back. Yeah, you know who else looked really good, Jason? Well, actually, Kari Willis had a great game. He was all over the field. Leonard, of course, but Leonard's a given. Leonard's all over the field. And we have the push from Buckner and everything he brings to the table with the addition of Buckner and that trade with San Francisco and Houston with the big sack safety in the end zone towards the end of the game. The game was over at that point, but a big play by Justin Houston. But what about Tavon Wilson? I thought Wilson made a couple big plays. It was all garbage time at the end of the game, but it's something to hang your hat on now moving forward. Oh, absolutely. And he was, I mean, those were impact plays that he made as far as, you know, blowing up plays. Mm -hmm. That's what I saw on film with him. Like, uh, the closer he is to the line of scrimmage, the better he plays. He's very, very 
kind of a, an electric player. He's very fast, quick to the ball, not as good in space and coverage, but that's not what we need him for. And I think, you know, you saw what he can do, man. He can blow plays up. He's very quick to the ball. Has a little bit of Bob Sanders in that way. He can cut through traffic and blow up ball carriers in the backfield. So, I, yeah, Tavon Wilson was really, really solid. I hope he gets some more snaps. He certainly earned them. Yeah, he did. And that pretty much wraps it up, Jason. Solid win for the Colts, 36-7 against a team that you need to blow out. When you play a team like the Jets, you got to blow them out. you got to make your mark, and you got to let teams know if you're playing the Giants or the Jets or any of those under 500 teams, teams that are going to be in the top five of the draft this year. When you play us... You're not going to come in here and, and have a game. We're going to we're gonna lay down the hammer, and that's what we did today, 36-7. to That's my man, Jason Spears. I'm your host, Luke Diamond. Chuck Pagano and the Chicago Bears next week, which will be fun. We'll get into it this week right here on the For the Culture Podcast.